Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Come on, how's everybody doing this morning? Are you awake? Are you here? Are you alive? Three of you are awake, here, and alive. That's fine. That's more than I need anyways. Uh, (laughs) It's good to be in the house. Amen? Good to be together. Good to lift up and worship the King. Uh, We are in the midst of a series through John. We're back in John, John 17. Amen? We're excited. We've been, uh, we've been making our way through the, the Gospel of John uh, for a few years now, and I am excited about all that the Lord has for us as we've been studying this out. Uh, we're kind of wrapping up this, uh, this discourse, this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples uh, on the last night before he's, he's betrayed, before his, uh, what we call the passion, the crucifixion, uh, his, his ultimate death, burial, resurrection, and ultimate, come on, ascension onto the throne. Amen. And so uh, this, this morning, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to John 17, verse 1, and we're going to read some Bible together this morning. Who loves the Word? Come on, we love the Bible, amen? Do you love your Bibles? Amen, amen. Well, let's go, let's go ahead and stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word uh, as we turn our attention, our affection toward Him. Uh, we read out of the ESV around here, uh, so we would invite you, if you have a, a phone or a tablet or whatever that you're reading on, you want to switch to that version, might make it a little bit easier as we, uh, as we jump in. John 17, verse 1, reading 1 through 6, says, When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Church, let's pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the living, active, breathing word of God. God, we thank you for the, for the word that you gave us, the word that you spoke to us. God, we thank you for this written word, but we also thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are a God that still speaks. You are a God that still delivers your message to your people. And so, so we ask as we, as we read your written word, we would hear the whisper of your spoken word in the hearts of your people. God, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and yes, Lord, feet to walk in obedience to what it is that you say to us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your ever-present leading and guiding. 
Oh, that we would be a people sensitive to your whisper, sensitive to your leading, sensitive to your impartation, God. That we would hear and that we would respond. That we would go where you speak to us to go, doing only what you speak to us to do. That we would be a people just like our big brother Jesus. Just like our perfect example, God, Jesus. We would do only what we see you doing. Let us walk by faith and not by sight. Let us walk by what we hear, not by what we see. That you might be glorified in the earth through your people. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? All right, why don't you go ahead and high-five somebody real fast and then grab yourself a seat. Amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> I know, I know it was, it was uh, mentioned in our announcement video, but I do want to just uh, highlight and invite you. If you're here and you've kind of been hanging around Sozo for a while, um, we, we believe here at this church that, that, uh, that membership is important, that belonging is important. Amen? In, in, in culture today, in, in just kind of the, the stream of life right now, it's kind of it's kind of not it's not cool. Come on, to commit to things, right? It, 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 even marketing has switched from you know join and become a member and and be a part to hey you can cancel at any time. <laughs> and so so we want to we want to as a as a company people as a church as a as a movement we want to push back on that and say there's still something right and good. Come on about committing ourselves to that which the Lord puts before us. And so that's what Belong is really all about, our, our membership class. Um, so if, if you're new, if you're kind of checking this out, I want to just invite you, come hang out with me on Saturday, uh, hear about the, the history of the church, who we are as a people. And, uh, and don't worry, um, it, it's, it's not like a timeshare pitch. Come on, somebody. Uh, you, you can't actually even become a member at the end of the class. So it's not like at the end of, of, of Saturday, you know, we're going to sit down and, you know, what do I have to do to get you to sign on the dotted line? No, 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 not at all. Uh, it's just your chance to kind of hear, ask questions, get some questions answered, kind of start this process. So, so I want to encourage you. Uh, I know we 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 kind of fell behind with some of the, uh, the 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 communication on this one, so just kind of pushing that. Either head over to guest service and sign up, head to our website, sign up. It's going to be good. Amen. All right. Uh, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, uh, I'm excited about what we get to kind of unpack this morning. Talking this morning under the heading, no more shadows. No more shadows. How Jesus gives life by revealing God. Uh, this is something I, I've, I've kind of hinted at a little bit as we've, um, as we've made our way through John, and, and, and today we get to kind of tie some things together and, and look at some whole stuff. So I hope you brought your learning heads. Did you bring your learning heads? A few people over there, maybe one person here. I love you guys. Um, we're going to dive into some stuff that I'm really excited to teach through and excited to sort of lay out. Uh, as I've taught you, it is good, come on, come on, come on, come on, it is good to ask questions of the Bible, right? There's sort of this idea in culture that, that Christians, that, that those who go to church just sort of are, are mindless zombies, that we just do whatever, whatever we're told. But the reality is uh, God encourages us to ask questions of his word. 
And what's amazing is as we do, as we, as we ask questions, as we press in, as we sort of, uh, uh, as I like to call it, as we put a hammer to the text, what we find is that answers come out. That God hasn't left us to just wonder and wander, but rather he has, he has placed within his word that which we need to understand and know his word. So, so this morning, I wanna, I wanna ask some questions. You know, Jesus says in the text, as he's praying to his father, that he's given eternal life to his disciples. He, he says this as if it's a past tense thing. He says he's done it. My question is, one, how does he do it? Because, come on, come on, because, because Sunday school answer doesn't seem to work. Because listen, he hasn't yet gone to the cross. So we can't say, well, Jesus gives eternal life by, right, by Sunday school answer. Well, he died on the cross for me, so that's how I have eternal life. Could it be, beloved, that, that we actually miss the point of what Jesus is even speaking about when he speaks about this thing we call eternal life? Could it be that we, we have put off into a, into a, a, a distant, far-off realm we call heaven what God is desiring to give us now? Could it be that we've misplaced these things? Could it be that we are still choosing to live in shadows? See, he says he, he, says he did this, verse 6, by manifesting the name of God. So that leads me to the question that I want to try to unpack this morning as we ask the text. What does it mean to manifest God's name? What's Jesus talking about here? What, what, is he, what does he mean when he says, okay, I, I gave them eternal life, right? He says in verse 3 that, that, that eternal life is to know God. We, we know that. But he says he does this by manifesting the name of God. What does it mean to manifest the name? I, I, I want to I throw out to you three possible answers to this and then tell you the one I think is right. I think there's truth in all of them, and if I'm really being honest, I, I think, I think there's, there's, there's a layer of truth to each of them. But if we stop at the surface level, come on, then we miss the real thing that Jesus is trying to do, and thus we miss out for ourselves on the, the, the fullness of the eternal life that he desires for us, and maybe more importantly, he misses out, come on, on the ultimate expression of glory that is due his name for what he's accomplished for us. What does it mean to manifest the name of God to these disciples and to us as further disciples? Let's look at some options here. Let's, let's look at maybe the, 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 the literal answer. Well, that the name of God maybe is Jesus. He manifested, he showed them that God's name is Jesus. Right, Jesus meaning that, that the Lord saves, that he redeems, that he, he's come to save. And so maybe that's what it means. I mean, is, is, is Jesus God's name? Everyone's like, I don't know. Maybe, sorta. You know, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. Yes, Jesus is certainly a name that we 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 cry out to and crying out to God. It is certainly the name that God had as He walked as a man among us. But I think this ultimately falls short. This literal approach, this literal answer, practically sure it's correct. But I think it, it lacks because ultimately we know second option, God's name is I am. It's Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. Yes. Now there's debate right now, uh, even some people that I love dearly, debating about how exactly you pronounce the name of God Yahweh. If you, if you read your Bible and you're in the Old Testament especially, you'll notice this thing that happens in most translations where it'll say the Lord. Everybody say the Lord. The Lord. And when it's speaking of God, it, it'll be in, in all capitals, 
or in some it'll be in large and small capitals, but it's, it's all there. The reason for that is uh, complicated historically. That's what, that's what the people of God, the, the nation of Israel did. Whenever the text would actually use the proper name of God, they would leave out the vowels, so we don't know where the vowel pronunciations are, and we just get the, the, the four letters, Y-H-W-H. The most common understanding of this, most about 90% of all uh, scholars agree that the, the most likely pronunciation is Yahweh. It means I am. And so maybe, maybe what Jesus does is he fills in the blank. What do I mean by fills in the, fills in the blank? If I come up to you and, and I just say, I am, your natural response is, you is what? You am what? There's a, there, right, there's a blank there. Am I, am I right? There, there's, there seems to be like something else needs to come next. There needs to be a, a filling in of this. And maybe, maybe what Jesus is saying is, I've manifested your name. I've filled in the blank. See, we, we, we get the name of God from the story in Exodus where, where God reveals himself to Moses. And I love this. Then Moses said to God, this is Exodus 3, 13 and 14, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they, and, and they ask me, what is his name? Right? Seems like a logical question, right? He comes to them with this grand thing. He says, hey, I met God, and I'm here to talk to you for him. They're going to go, okay, really, you know God? Well, then what's his name? Seems like a reasonable question. What shall I say to them, he says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is where we get Yahweh. And he, and he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. So, so maybe Jesus fills in this blank. Well, how does he do this? Well, 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 we've noticed this, and I've sort of made vague references to it, but let me just lay this out. Jesus makes seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Jesus makes seven I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. So Jesus then is, is filling in the blanks. When, when, when we naturally ask, I am what? He says, well, I am the bread of life. He, he, he's filling, do you see this? He's, he's filling in the blanks. He's filling out our understanding. Maybe that's what Jesus means. I'm going to tell you this. I think this, which, which, which I, I kind of think of as I approach this as sort of the, the, the narrative or the prophetic sort of approach. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy, filling in the narrative. I think this has gotten very close to what Jesus is trying to say, but I, I think even this falls short. Because I, I want to propose to you that when Jesus says he manifested the name of God, it wasn't just about a specific teaching that he gave or even an action that he did. But rather, Jesus stands unique in all of human history, and he and he alone is able to actually himself be the name of God to us. Not just the, the name Jesus. I mean, you, you, you can find people now uh, that even want to argue. I actually just had a conversation with somebody uh, this week who argued with me and says, if you pray to Jesus, you're not praying to God. You have to pray to Yeshua because that's his Hebrew name. Look, they're right, but dude, they're wrong. Are you tracking with me on that? They're right. The, the, the literal name of Jesus was Yeshua. Nobody walked around most likely calling, come on, calling Jesus, Jesus in his, in his earthly life. They most likely either called him Yeshua 
Or they would have called him the, the, the Greek equivalent of that, which is awful, awful, awful close to uh, uh, Jesus. We get the name Jesus, why we use the name Jesus that way. But, but I don't think it's literally his name. I don't even think it's literally the things that he taught or the things that he did. I think simply his, come on, being was revealing the name of God. You say, you say how, can a, how, can a, how can a being, how can him just being lay out for us what, it, what is the name of God? Because you see, we misunderstand. We think name is the thing written on the, the little sticker that we put on when we go to a new place and then we all wanna not be so awkward so we wear a name tag. But a Hebrew and Greek culture, a name meant far more. The theologian uh, Michael P. Knowles says this in his book, The Unfolding Mystery of the Divine Name. He says, in the world of the Hebrew scriptures, a personal name was often thought to identify something essential about the bearer's identity. So to, so to hear the name of God is actually to, to have a fundamental revelation of something that is essential to his nature. In fact, the Greek here even sort of correlates with that because the, the Greek word for name that Jesus comes from two words. One means to, to be helpful or to be possessed, possessed by something that is, is appropriate and, and beneficial to you. And then the second word we've learned before, it's gnosko. It literally means to know. So the idea of a name is not just that you have an identifier for that individual, but rather that you have an intimate experiential awareness of who that individual is. So when Jesus says he comes to make known the name of God to this people, he's saying, I've come so that they can know who you are. Now we might stop and say, well, um, hey preacher, uh, these are the Jewish people. These are, these are the people of God. This is the nation of Israel. They know God. They're the people of God. They're the Baptists of their day. I mean, I, I just want, I want to lay this out because I, I want to, again, when we ask questions, I think it's right to not just find easy, simple answers. So the right response, right? Well, I think Jesus, my answer is I think the reason how, the reason that Jesus uh, manifested the name of God to the people is by being that name, the, the appropriate pushback would be, well, the most quoted verse in the Bible that's in the Bible. Track with me? The verse that the Bible quotes of itself the most or references the most is uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. This is God's answer to Moses when he again asks to know, to see the glory of God. And God says, no, but I'll, I'll tell you my name. I'll reveal my nature to you. Here's what he says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the, iniquities, the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So if Jesus is revealing the name, but you go, hey, the, the, the Bible quotes constantly the name of God. How is it then that I can stand up here and say, I think Jesus is telling the Father, I've fulfilled this purpose you've given me in giving them eternal life by revealing your name, by revealing your nature. The, the pushback would be, but, but they had his name. Israel had, they, they had it from the beginning. 
At the very, at the very exodus, when they, when they came out of another nation and were birthed as their own nation, they seemed to have this name. But what I'm here to tell you is this, that the true revelation of who God is is found exclusively in the person of Jesus. I'm going to make some statements this morning. And so I'm going, to give, I'm going to give this right now. You can write it down and you can email me and we'll just have some fun this week having a conversation, not an argument. If you argue with me, I'll just delete your email. Questions, happy to answer. Mark at sozospokane.org. M-A-R-K, sozospokane.org. Love to, love to have a conversation about this. I'm going to make some statements that may offend, bother, ruffle some feathers, push back on some things that maybe uh, uh, you, you, you've believed in the past, and this is why I'm excited. Jesus is the exclusive necessary revelation of who God is. If you don't know who Jesus is, you don't know who God is. Period. Now, now we, we could say amen to that as long as we don't think about it too hard. You see, the problem is this. That yes, they had the technical name of God. But Israel and all of the Old Testament are an inferior revelation of who God is compared to Jesus. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. Everything, if you're looking at your Bible, if you have a printed Bible, I'm going to say it this way. If you have a printed Bible, everything to the left of Jesus is inferior. If you have a digital Bible, everything north of Jesus, because you're scrolling, is, <laughs> is inferior to Jesus. Not, I'm not judging, just saying, like, you might have a supercomputer Bible instead of a, you know, printed one. Let's hope the EMP doesn't take your Bible away. Um, <laughs> all right, here's what I want to show you. I want to show you this in the Scriptures, because I can say that, but I want us to see that, that let me say it this way, that God speaking forth his name and even unpacking what it means in Exodus 34 was, was, was insufficient for the people of God to understand who the person of God was. Let's see this. Second Corinthians, you can just jot these down. I'm going I'm to go quickly through these, so just jot them down quick. Second um, Corinthians 3, this is 14, we're going to read through uh, 18. It says, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, this is post-cross, Right? This is post-resurrection. This is after the cross. This is after the resurrection. To this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. So then he clarifies, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is Removed. 17 and 18 say this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty, or, or that, that, that veil is taken away, that bondage is loosed. And we all, with unveiled face, we, who's we? Believers, those who've come to Christ, those who've seen God exclusively through Jesus, we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I, I want to spend like all day on this next passage. This Hebrews 10, 1 through 10. I'm not going to, but maybe I will. Um, 
For since the law has but a, say it. Well, I, but, but I, well, huh, I thought all the, bi- I, well, huh? The law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshiper, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Let's just wait here for just a second. I'll get to the next few verses, but I don't want us to miss what that's saying. The law was insufficient to deal with the problem in our interior world. All it actually did was constantly remind us of the problem in our interior world. So those of you who think that, that, that the old covenant is, is beneficial, and there's, there, I'm just going to get the emails. There's a huge push within churches, especially, come on, churches like ours, charismatic churches, where we seem to kind of venerate and worship Israel, like we all want to be junior Jews. Don't laugh at that. That's horrible. We all want to be like little. We want to like. We want to. We want to go back to this. All, all the while, constantly, the new covenant is pointing to us, saying like, all of that was inferior. All of that was insufficient. You want to go back and follow all those rules and do all those things and put yourself under that. It's worth. It doesn't have the substance. Instead, what Jesus did. Jesus came. Come on. Jesus came as the Messiah. If the old covenant worked, why wouldn't he have come as a priest? That's what this is saying. But he came and said, no, no, no. What you're ultimately after, God, is not all of this ritual. You gave me a body so I could show them who you are. So I could physically manifest, come on, your name, your nature, your being. So that, yes, by his obedience, our even consciousness of sin would fade away as we focus not on sin and depravity but on the delight and glory and beauty of him it continues because it keeps getting better when he said you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices or offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings these are offered according to the what law then he added behold i have come to do your will he does away with the first in order to establish The second, verse 10, and by that will we have been, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do do you see that, that that old understanding was insufficient, come on church, it, it lacked that which is necessary for transformation. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment. This, is, this, this, this verse is going to help so many people if you actually listen to it. 
Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Catch this, right? Highlight, underline, circle, bolden, tattooed on your forehead. These are a, say it, shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to what? Christ. Here's, here's the statement that you're going to email me about. The Old Testament, in its complete entirety, is a book of shadows. It's a book of shadows. It, it, is, it is not substance. I, I get people want to argue with me, and I, I love you, and I'm just, I'm just, we're just having a conversation. I will speak about the goodness, faithfulness, kindness, graciousness, love, compassion of God, and people will throw Old Testament verses at me. Yeah, but what about Job? Okay, let's talk about it. Job had an inferior picture of who God was. Okay, okay, okay. That, that one didn't land very, very poorly. That's, we're good. Isaiah had an inferior picture of who God was. That one got a little bit of groans. I like that. Moses had an inferior picture of who God is. Okay, I got like four wiggles out of that one. Okay, I'm, I'm, this is just, I know it's not fun for you, but it's fun for me, so. David had an inferior picture of who God was. He saw, come on, through a veil. I'm not, I'm not let, let, me, let me put it this way. It wasn't, the problem was not the picture presented the problem was the perception of the one perceiving. I, 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 can, I can put up in front of you, come on, come on, I can put up in front of you a, a 8K perfect image of something. But if your eyes are screwed up, it doesn't matter how clear I make the picture, your description of the picture is not accurate. There's going to be error there. That's why consistently in the New Testament, it's described as shadow. But Jesus, come on, is substance. This is why we worship, come on, Jesus. Because he is the substance of God. See, the, the reason why the law could only deal with the symptoms is it couldn't get to the root. It dealt with where they were. But it was not the ultimate plan and purpose of God. It was, it, was, it was a stop along in the journey. Because you see, what we've got to understand is sin distorted humanity's perception of God. So when, when we get to the, the Exodus story, humanity has, has, has bought into the deception and the, and, the, and, the, and the distortion of God to the point that depravity has taken within them and they can't see properly. This all finds its root in, in the inherited distortion that we got from our first dad, Adam. Genesis 2, 16 through 17. I want you to understand this. Genesis 2, 16, 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. I, 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 I want to do this because I, we don't know the passage of time. We're not given the passage of time between what I just read you and what I'm about to read you, but just look at the addresses enough. 
Okay, 216. 3-8. We're already, God gives the command, and, and the story, if you read, if you read Genesis, it literally reads like God says, whatever you do, don't touch the hot burner. And Adam goes, okay. Does it give anybody else hope about themselves? It gives me hope about myself. So, so Adam and Eve, they eat, they, they partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this is what the result is. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Saddest verse in the Bible to me, maybe. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. I said this to you a lot lately, and I want to keep saying it, because it's, a, it's, a, it's an error in our thinking that I believe needs correction. Adam's sin did not change God. It changed Adam. I can prove it. Adam sins. What does God do? He, come, he, he still shows up for their daily appointment. Right? Clearly, clearly, Adam knew the sound of God walking in the garden. Oh, beloved, that we would know. Come on. What did that sound like? What did it sound like when the creator of the garden stepped into the garden? He steps in and Adam recognizes the sound, right? Checks his day planner and he's like, yep, that's my, my daily appointment with God. So God's behavior is not altered. He's still showing up for the appointment. But what happens, come on, what happens to Adam? What floods into Adam's heart when he hears the sound? Not joy, not, not excitement, he doesn't draw near, rather he hides because he's afraid. Adam, why are you afraid? What, what, nothing's changed on God's end. But you see, he bought into the lie. See, eating the fruit, there's, there's arguments around, is, is the Genesis account a literal, actual account, or is it not? I don't, I don't really care where you land on that as long as you understand what the story's trying to tell you. And that is, a serpent came and spoke a simple, easy lie to our first parents. God's not good. He, said, he didn't say that. Yeah, he did. Because what he said was, God has hidden something good in what he told you is bad. He's trying to keep for himself the good stuff while just giving you the leftovers. That lie was so embraced by our first parents that they disobeyed what God told them to do even knowing it would produce death in them. The price was no longer a factor to them because they had so embraced the deception, they'd so ingested the delusion that depravity was not an issue for them anymore. They didn't care. The death that it would ultimately bring, not a big deal to them. Because they would, they would rather not obey a God who they now believe is evil. So that's why when they hear the sound of him walking in the garden, they hide. Because their perception was now, he's evil. Can I, can I land it in our backyard? He's a God of wrath. 
and that wrath is aimed toward me. Their perception was shifted. And so, so in order to deal with this, to get to the root cause, to, 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 to get to the veil, to get to the darkness, to obliterate the shadow, Jesus came to, to reveal the reality of God. Prove it, preacher. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Whose glory? The Word's glory. Who's the Word? He's one with God. We have seen the glory of God. Glory as of the Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Jesus put, put it very simply, John 10.30, I and the Father are one. Colossians 1.15, he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 2.9 in Colossians, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You, can I just get little, little, just what, one thing, can you just do one thing for me? Can we read that together? Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Why, why, why do I want us to read that? Because here's what I hear Christians say. Jesus is part of God, but there's also other things about God. Here's, here's how that plays out in our, in our functional theology. Jesus is happy God. The Father is angry God. I hope I get happy God. I've, I've said this before. I've described it this way before. I think many of us functionally with the Trinity think good cop, bad cop, weird cop. Right? Jesus is the good cop. The Father is the bad cop. Holy Spirit is the weird cop. And that's just, no, 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 no. Everything God has to say about himself is Jesus. There's nothing left out. Now again, 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 I always want to point this out because there's a group of you that are like super excited because you see Jesus as like having feathered hair and blue eyes and he's like really nice and he's super, he's super awesome and he's just a sweetie pie and he, you know, he's like, he's like the son of God who went off to college and got a little woke. You know, he's a little progressive now. He's got to figure some stuff out and he's come back to help us all out. He's going to go back to the father to kind of let him know how things are. We like that Jesus, some of us. We like, we like that picture of Jesus because he's, he cares about what we care about. He cares about the widows and the orphans and he cares about the refugees and he cares about all those things and he absolutely does. But guess what? That same Jesus flips over tables in the temple. So just remember, the next time you look down at your WWJD bracelet and you're upset, flipping tables is an option. There's this idea floating around the church like New Testament Jesus is like this just sweetie pie. The problem is, go to the book of Revelation and he's got tattooed legs and a sword coming out of his mouth. I like that, Jesus. See, we, we, we've got to understand that I'm not, what I'm not saying, what I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is that there are, that, 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 that Jesus and, and the Old Testament are at odds with one another. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that the Old Covenant cannot give us the full picture that God wants us to have of who he is. It's lacking. It's insufficient. It's diminished. It's less than. But in Jesus, the whole fullness. I love that they used both words. It's like all of everything. 
The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Again, let's go back to Hebrews because this is just so, this is so good. Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom, all, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It it can't get any clearer than that. If you think you have to tension Jesus with Old Testament God, you're wrong. They're the same. Come on, they're the same. The picture we get of him in the Old Testament where it seems like, well, that that doesn't seem to, like, I don't get how, yeah, yeah, the clarity wasn't there. Come on. The the picture's not the problem. Our perception is the problem. Are you tracking with me here? I am not in any way, shape, or form telling you to chop off the back half of your Bible and chuck it away. What I'm telling you is you have a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice. Here's your choice. Am I going to interpret Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament, or am I going to interpret the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus? There's your option. Those are your only two options. Or you could just ignore all of it and, you know, you could do that and see where that leads you. I'm just going to leave it there. Um, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But, but what, what, what about the law? The, the, the law profits how much? Nothing. It's inferior. It's insufficient. It's not good enough. So, so we, we read already, God put that aside and put himself in that place. Jesus comes and expels the darkness surrounding our picture of God. He is uniquely qualified now as the mediator. He's both God and man, so he can serve as a mediator between both of us. He's the only lens we need to see God and is the only lens that God sees us. We must view God exclusively through the lens of Jesus. I'm going to say it again. We must view God exclusively through the lens of Jesus. He is everything God wants to tell you about himself. There's, there's, no, there's no other like, oh, I got to go climb a mountain and have an experience and, and, and float in a cloud and get prayed for by a prophet. No, 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 no. Jesus, come on, is everything God wants to tell you about himself. He's not holding back. He's not limiting. He's not, he's not keeping the good stuff behind the curtain. He ripped the curtain. Come on. He removes the veil. He turns the lights on so you can see him for who he is. Stop trying to reconcile the God you inherited through rebellion and religion with the revelation of who Jesus says the Father is. I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to hear it. 
Stop trying to reconcile the God you inherited either from your own rebellion and stupidity or from your own religion and stupidity, which tends to also compound with other people's stupidity. We try to reconcile that. Well, I mean, I, I learned when I was younger that God was, yeah, 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 but is that, is that what Jesus shows us? If not, get rid of it. There's no value there. Come on, there's no value there. It's insufficient. It's clogging up the, the, the pipe. It's limiting your capacity. See, we, we want to we sprinkle in a little bit of what we inherited from religion and rebellion. But all that's doing is making you afraid of God. Let, let, me, let, me, let me unpack what I mean by afraid of God. Some of us, that means we're afraid of God. What I mean by that is when we're afraid of him, so we, we, we stay away from him because we think he's so holy and he's so awesome. And he's, when we sang about it today, we trained us, we practiced kneeling before him because he's holy, amen? Not, are we, are we, am I diminishing the holiness of God? Absolutely not. But we, we view that holiness as a reason to stay away from him, and religion tells us we're not good enough, and religion tells us we haven't prayed enough and fasted enough and given enough and served enough, and, 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 and if we did serve and we liked it, well, that didn't count. And so we stay away from him. We're afraid to be close to God. We're afraid to be intimate with God. We're afraid to know him and to be known by him. So like, like, like the guy who we inherited the problem from, like Adam, we become afraid and we hide in the bushes. That's how some of us fear God. But I want to talk to another group that fears God. You fear God wrongly in this way. You're afraid that, that, that God really is hiding good in what he tells you is bad. You fear that he's a liar. So this manifests in your life by you doing a bunch of worthless crap to try to find your identity, security, and joy. So you headlong throw yourself at sin thinking, I know God says all this is wrong, but, but I think there's still good here. And if I don't have this or her or him or this behavior or this possession or this achievement, then I don't know who I am. Then I'm not, my life isn't going to be, I'm not going to be safe and secure. I might, I might lose the relationship. I might lose the house. I might lose the job. I might lose my status amongst others. If I don't have these things, my life's going to be boring. I love you. Without him, your life is boring. I'm just telling you the truth. I remember, I remember being a young believer and, and sitting in a, in a room where, where like an older pastor had, was the first time I'd ever been around something like this. He just let people ask questions. So much like young adult, college age, high school age, college age students, and pastors let, let people ask questions. And one of the guys said, hey, you know, we, we, we teach this stuff about who God is and about his, the gospel and Jesus and the Bible, but I mean, like, what if, what if we're wrong? What if when we die, like, it's just, like, curtains? What if, it's just, what if it's just like a dirt nap? What if it's just, we're just gone? And this pastor said something that profoundly shaped the way I viewed all of this from that day forward. He said, listen, and he, he shared his testimony. His testimony was somewhat like mine. His was a few 30 years earlier than mine, but, you know, sort of to, to give you the Reader's Digest version of my life before Jesus, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Like that was like, like just dumb, stupid garbage, this guy kind of shared that, and he goes, and I came to faith, and 
The old me died and the new me was born and I now enjoy his presence and his goodness and his faithfulness. Here's what he said. He goes, I'm convinced that if I live my entire life and I die and it's a dirt nap, I still live the best life any human being could ever live. That's what I'm telling you. Your life's boring without him. You might think that it's great and wonderful, but you are still living in the deception and the delusion that's causing depravity in your own heart. It's causing you to hide from God. Either hiding from him in religion or hiding in him for rebellion. Listen, listen, I wanna, I wanna upset both of you. You're both wrong. I don't care if you're hiding in religion or I don't care if you're hiding in rebellion. You're both wrong. Here, religious person, let's just make sure you're equally offended. You're just as wrong as they are. You're, well, I'm not smoking, drinking, chewing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. If you're hiding from God in religion, you are just as lost as the person doing whatever you think is horrible. I'm not making an excuse for the person that, that's sinning. Are you tracking with me? This is not an excuse for either party. I'm trying to offend both of you equally. I was hanging out with past friends, and they, they asked, the, the question came up as we were all having coffee. Hey, how do you deal with like, you know, politically controversial issues? And everyone gave really good answers, and I tried to not give an answer. Um, and they finally got around to me and made me answer, and I said, well, I just make sure I punch with both my left hand and my right hand. I, won't, I, I don't care if you're conservative or progressive. I want to make you mad. Because your salvation is not found in your conservatism. Your salvation is not found in your progressivism. Your salvation is only found in Jesus. So if you're tr- by salvation, I don't just mean go to heaven. I mean life. There is no life in those things. Got real quiet. It was like, yeah, yeah, whoa. Well, there's like some life. No, there's no life. It's the modern law. It's insufficient. It's not enough. Jesus comes and he manifests the nature of God. He shows us who God is. And time after time after time, not to put myself in, compare myself with Jesus, but he punched with both his right and his left hand. He, 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 he utterly obliterated the idea that, that, that either of those places are where we ought to run to. For crying out loud, he literally called disciples from both sides of the aisle. Simon the Zealot, right, guy who'd like spent his whole life like amassing guns, voting for Trump, and trying to overthrow the government. And then you've got, then you've got Matthew, who's literally a tax collector, like sold out everything for the like progressive, well, you know, I think Rome can really help us, and if we just kind of get involved with all of it and just work with the system. And you are never going to convince me that when Jesus sent them out two by two, he didn't take both those guys and go, you guys get to go together. You wear your red tie, you wear your blue tie, and you go ahead and you go march out. I'm going to prove the gospel by y'all not killing each other. Come on, it's Jesus. It's not try harder. It's not be better. It's not follow an external set of rules. It's not follow your bliss. It's bow your knee to Jesus. Because he is everything God wants to tell you about himself. Get fascinated with Jesus. He manifests, come on, by presentation and by illumination who God is to us. He shows us who God is. He's everything God wants us to know about himself. To summarize, Jesus gives eternal life by manifesting God's name. That is his nature. To those who, by way, inherited a distorted view of who God is, and thus live disconnected from the one who is himself true life.
When we hide from God, we've got to understand we are disconnecting from the only one who is himself life. I taught us this last time when we, talked, we, we, we were here. God does not have eternal life. God is eternal life. So if we withdraw from him, if we hide from him, if we, if we sew together fig leaves and hide in a bush when we hear the sound of him, again, whatever that hiding might look like for you, rebellion or religion, doesn't matter. If you're hiding from him, ultimately, that's why there's death there. Because you've disconnected from the only one who has life. Because eternal life is knowing God. Personally, intimately, experientially, knowing him. And through Jesus, come on church, you can know him. Not know about him, not hear from him, you can know him. As Jesus goes and returns back to the Father, he, he carries us along with him. Come on, if we, if we are crucified with him, we will certainly be buried with him, and we will certainly be resurrected with him. And we will certainly ascend with him. And that's why, when seen in heaven, after his death, burial, and resurrection, it is said that one saw the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Father. If I haven't bothered your theology yet, here you go, last chance. You are seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ. I'll prove it to you in the text in the weeks to come but get excited for it now, or offended for it. I don't really care which, as long as you keep listening. Personally, I found people that seem to be offended by me listen better than people who like what I'm saying. <laughs> Judging off the quotes I get of myself in emails. Let's stand to our feet. Come on, this morning I just want us to take some time. I know, this, I know this might seem odd to some, but I want us to take some time and just know him. I think, I think Holy Spirit is here this morning to try to, to remove some of the, the preconceived, erroneous, false ideas we have about who God is. doesn't bother me. I think he wants to come. He wants to grab a hold of us and show us where it is along the way. Come on, that we've picked up, that we've grabbed a hold of, that we've carried some things. Lord bless him. <laughs> come on, am I the only one that somewhere along the way, I, I'm willing to admit, maybe you are too, that I've picked up some worthless images of who God is? Be them, be, come on, be them by, by my own stupidity. Be them by, by, by good-intentioned people that were just trying to show me God, but they had a jacked-up picture of God, and so they, they gave me one. Listen, 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 listen. I'm not judging those people. I was one of those people. For years, I preached with certainty that God was one way that had nothing to do with Jesus. I think God wants to this morning, begin a work in the hearts of his people. For some, continue that work. For others, begin that work of removing 
those strands. Come on. Those little pieces. They're, they're just not right. They're not accurate. They're not true. The, the way I've always seen this, as, as the Lord's done this in my own life, it's like my understanding of who he is is like a rope. And a rope, though it's one thing, it's made up of a bunch of strands of things. And inside this rope, it's like there are, there are strands that aren't true, they're not accurate. If I bundle up together all that I believe about God, and he in his goodness wants to just take that rope and lay it out and begin to pull out. Come on. These strands of things like, hey, this, this isn't accurate. You, you picked this up from religion. You picked this up from rebellion. You're hiding in this when you have no reason to hide in it. You think, come on, for me, I'm honest, I'm just being honest with you. For me, one of the biggest shifts was my understanding that, wait, neither, neither of the trees changed God. The tree in the garden didn't change God. But listen to me, the cross didn't change God either. It changed me. It changes me. In my arrogance, in my ego, I was sitting around waiting for God to change who he was so he could accept me. No, 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 beloved. I'm changed so I can see him properly. So this morning, we're just going to take some time and we're going to respond. We believe it's right and good to respond when we hear God speak. That's an appropriate thing to do. So we're going to respond as we do, as is our custom. Celebration contemplation, communion. We're going to celebrate our invitation into his presence by stepping into his presence, by being aware, come on, of the face-to-face intimacy that is ours, not by discipline, not even by devotion, but by gift. We're carried there. Come on. We're carried to that place. And just enjoy that this morning. You say, well, you don't know what I've done or, or what I've been through or you don't, you don't know what's going on. You don't, you don't know. I've messed up. I've jacked up. I've, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've backed myself up until I'm so jacked up that I want to throw up. Again, I'm going to keep saying this until I run out of air. The problem is not that I don't know what you've done. The problem is that you don't know what he's done. Your way is paved not by your prayers, not by your good behavior, but the path is paved by his broken body and his shed blood. So we're going we're gonna to take some time to celebrate by enjoying this. I do believe it is right and good for us to take some time to contemplate, to think, to meditate, to ask Holy Spirit to say, are there things about who you are that I've picked up along the way that you want to expel? And then we do this simple thing, beloved Christians, I'm talking to you, we repent. We admit that those things are wrong and we abandon them. We let them go. We stop going to them for anything that we need. And we're going to respond through communion. We're going to partake in the table of the Lord. We take by a method known as intiction, where we take a piece of bread or we have gluten-free on the edges. We dip into the juice and we partake. 
We do have prepackaged communion available in the back. If you're more comfortable taking that right now, we get it. If you'd rather eat styrofoam than bread, you're welcome. Not that I have an opinion about it. Um, I want to be clear, these tables are open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. There's no membership requirement. There's no, uh, uh, there's no doctrinal agreement requirement. There's no regular attendance requirement. If you're a believer, if you've repented and believed, these tables are open to you. We would love to celebrate communion with you as a member of the family of God. But if you're not a believer, if you're here, you're just trying to check in this thing out, trying to figure out what this whole God, church, Jesus, Bible, sozo thing maybe is all about. We're so, Listen, listen, we're so glad that you're here. First thing I want you to know, we are so excited that you're here. Second thing I want you to know is you don't have to come up here and pretend like you're a Christian and take communion with us. You can just hang out in your seat. Totally fine. No one's going to notice. Truth is, no one's going to care. The third thing I want you to know is this. I'm happy that you're here and you're just trying to figure this whole thing out, but you're missing out on the greatest thing this life has to offer. Jesus himself is the greatest thing this life has to offer. He is, there's all we say, he's better than everything. I didn't say he's better than, 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 than things. He's better than everything. All of it added together, packed, to, packed up, all of it is not as valuable, is not as good, is not as enjoyable, is not as beautiful, is not as wonderful as Jesus. And while you're running and hiding, he's coming and looking. And here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you this now. You can hide. Listen, you can hide as long as you want. That's the promise of the scriptures. You can hide as long as you want. But here's also what the scriptures show us. He's a better seeker than you are a hider. So you might as well give up now. It'll be less embarrassing. We stop hiding by repenting and believing, by admitting and abandoning our sin and embracing and entrusting Jesus to show us who God is, to show us what ultimate, real, eternal life really is. The Bible says when that happens, we go from being dead spiritually to being alive. We stop being an enemy of God and we become the very family of God. And if that's happening to you this morning, we would love to pray with you. We would love to stand with you. We'd love to believe with you. We'd love to welcome you into the family of God. So right over here at this cross, we're going to have a team of people that are going to be there praying for anybody with any need whatsoever. You got a physical need, financial need, emotional need, spiritual need, something just going on, just need God to show up. We'd love to pray with you. That team would love to pray with you. Be their honor. But especially if you're here and you're repenting and believing, they would love to pray with you as well. But at least, if you don't feel comfortable doing that and you're repenting, at least grab that welcome home card and let us know. We've got resources we want to get to you to, to show you what it means to, to be in the family of God and help you along in that journey. We'd love to get those into your hands so that you can have them. But right now, I'm going to pray and we're going to respond. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your living, active word doing work in our lives. God, I thank you that you are good. You are always and you are only good. Lord, I thank you that even though I've picked up false, Lord, even and I struggle to find the word, even offensive pictures of who you are. Even though I've, I've believed those things, and, and for me personally, even though I've promoted those things, God, you are still faithful to meet me where I am but bring me where you want me to be. 
God, that we would see you as a God that welcomes us as we are, but loves us enough to not leave us as we are. So God, we rejoice in you. Holy Spirit, would you give revelation, illumination to who you are, to the person, the work, the being that Jesus is. Show us your glory, Lord. Let us behold you. Let us rest in you. Let us abide in you. Let us remain in you. You're the only place that we find life. You are the sole source of life, and we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name. Church, let's respond to the Lord.